0: So if you go look at digital marketing today, Google and say, "How do I start a business online?" you're going to say, "Well'll find a niche that is very small, that's undercrowded or not very crowded, and that the people that are in it care about a lot. That is every PhD thesis ever written. And you can start really small. So I started really just on the science of what's going on. I was reviewing journal articles, so really, really niche, and then I started to back out until I found an audience.)
1: Welcome to another episode of Academics Meme Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, I have Chris Clooney on. Chris Clooney, I should say. And he is a doctor. So I should be introducing him appropriately because this, this young man got his PhD this June. And I think I just saw an Instagram picture of him in all of his attire as well. So pretty exciting. And by the time this is launching, he also recently had a newborn, a little baby entered into his life. So he was such a fun interview. And I really love what he's up to. And I think a lot of uh, listeners might actually benefit from the work that he's putting out into the world. So he finished his PhD in June of this year in 2018. um, And I believe he said that he filed a patent immediately after and became um, an official business the day after he did his PhD defense, which I think is pretty badass. But in September of 2016, he started blogging about research, and he kind of did it on the side. And he's going to go through the journey because I think I don't really want to recount every step of his journey. There are some details in there, um, but that you'll definitely pick up. But what he does now um, is he started a company based on his research, essentially, and now he is he also created a website called Grad Blogger. Where he's helping PhD students, basically graduate students, um, realize that they could be blogging about their research and that could potentially turn into something in the future, even if it's, you know, academic clout as well. But, you know, definitely monetizing um, is something that he he kind of teaches. So I think he is just going to bring so much to this podcast. Um, So definitely follow him as well and connect with him in our Facebook group too, um, because he has a lot to teach us. And so without further ado, here we have Dr. Chris Cloney. Welcome, everybody. Today, we have Dr. Chris Cloney on with us as his wife is preparing to give birth very, very soon. So I am already commending him for showing up on time, prepared, and he sounds amazing. And I can't wait to uh, jump in with him. Hi, Chris.
0: Hi, Lindsay. Love it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited for the the interview.
1: I'm excited too. I'm excited to learn more about you because I've been watching you online for a little bit.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we like to start with the academic background, of course. And I think yours is so interesting. And I love um, the niche uh, that you're going to be serving with your background. So give us a little bit of that. Why did you study what you studied? What was your research? If you want to dive into that. And yeah, why do you love what you learned?
0: Yeah, sounds great. So I'll give the full version to give people an idea <laughs> of some of the experience, but I'll do it in in an abridged banner and then we can kind of dive into to different areas. Cool. So my my background: I graduated from undergrad in 2011 in mechanical engineering, and s- went to work with a company here locally in, in Halifax, in Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, the company I was with, I'd done a couple of co-op terms with them already, so I was pretty familiar. They, I was a research engineer with them, um, looking into the the physics and chemistry of fires, of explosions, of propulsion rockets. Planes, all sorts of interesting high energy systems. I also signed on for a master's at the same time, uh, mm-hmm. and things were really awesome for a while. So, <laughs>
1: until they weren't.
0: That's right. right. <laughs> so, kind of move forward to 2013. Things are going great in the job. Uh, things are going excellent at school. Got some awards. I published two papers during my master's, um, nice. was promoted at work, and ended up switching into the PhD program. So, I didn't finish my master's. Mm-hmm. I didn't write the thesis, but I took that mm-hmm. research and transferred it into the, the PhD program. And things were going really good. And then my original goal for finishing my thesis was September 2016. Mm-hmm. So, by January 2016, after about three years of 70-hour weeks or 70-plus-hour mm-hmm. weeks, I realized that that was not going to happen. Um, I was not going to be able to finish my my thesis by September 2016. And things were pretty tough at work. Uh, our company was affected by oil and gas downturn quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, my Specifically, some projects that I was um, managing ended up not going well. And then projects that my group within my company were managing did not go very well. And it was a pretty high-stress environment, basically working every day. Yeah, I bet. If I was doing less than 20, 30 hours a week on my thesis, I felt like I was going backwards. Mm. And... Maybe a little bit of not feeling the recognition because you're there every day at the office trying to work and and it was it was a pretty hard environment. So, once I had January and realized that in eight months, I was not going to finish my thesis and realized kind of that the only way that I'd get done would be by taking the full 10 years that the university allots me, I decided that wasn't going to work. So, in June mm-hmm. of 2016, I actually left the company and focused on just getting my PhD finished up and actually finished just in April of this year, 2018. So it took me an extra nice. two years after my original date. What I did do in that time is I actually started blogging about my research. So even before mm-hmm. that, I, I I was always really interested in entrepreneurship. Um, I was a really good employee in the sense that you know I would give my blood, sweat and tears and be in there all the time working. And I put the same kind of effort in my PhD, but I always felt like on the weekends, I'd be planning about trying to start a business or um, increasing my own personal development in different ways. And mm. and I struggled a bit with uh, with figuring that out. So once I left the company, my full-time job, if you will, was now a PhD student, which was nice. Yep. But I started trying to pick up different side hustles. So I started a ticket swapping company, or tried to, and none of them ever went anywhere. But I, I had an idea to start a ticket swapping company with a local um, arena that sells hockey tickets. I tried to start oh, cool. a gluten-free subscription service, my wife's Celiac. Um, mm. And nothing, you know, nothing really worked. And you, I, I was listening to all these podcasts about startups and startup capital and startup funding. And it was just like, this is such a big thing.
1: Mm. And how
0: do you do it? So, one day, I just kind of sat back and said, this is, this is crazy. I can't do this. Um, what I should be doing is something really close to my thesis research, which is my nine to five. Yes. I'm spending most of my hours. So, I went at that point, I'd kind of crossed over and was listening to some online digital marketing podcasts. So, one, I want to write about my research. So, in September 2016, I started blogging about my research. I literally wrote 50 blog posts in the first 62 days. Um, wow. And it was all, it was paper reviews. So, every time I read a paper, which was several a day, I'd write down three bullet points on the back of the piece of paper or the back of the, the paper, the journal article summary points and then I write a summary blog post about it 600 700 words and i just did that every day and i said well i'm going to get good at writing online so i sort mm. of forced myself five times a week i'd publish and that was that was good i learned a lot of skills i was exercising some new muscles but uh, it turns out that the you know the 15 people in my research area didn't really care that much <laughs> so nobody would come to my website <laughs> so it was sort of interesting that way and and kind of learning about how the process—if so you put stuff into a vacuum, it's not gonna, it's not gonna necessarily get out there. But what I did mm-hmm. learn is, I took those sixty blog posts and summarized them into something that's actually useful for um, industry. So I started doing these, you know, industrial relevance of my academic research, and mm. industry started tuning in, saying, "This is really interesting stuff." You know, we have these twenty-five individual journal articles, and this is what it means for us. So I started shifting from what I call. In, in science communication, they do a lot of uh, r to p so research to public.
1: Yep, there you go. But
0: I shifted. I was doing research to research at first, and then I shifted to research to business, started blogging that way. Mm, and it was, interesting. It was um, started growing much faster. So I started a newsletter, kind of went down that whole road. And I mean, the first three people on my newsletter were like my mother and my aunt and my wife. Um, sure. Bless them, but...
1: It, we all start somewhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but fast forward... And we can kind of dive into the period of, of mm. blogging um, in sure. whatever detail makes sense. But fast forward to April of this year, um, I had monetized my blog um, as a business on, I'm you know, mess the dates up. I want to say April 13th, which I think is a Monday, I mm-hmm. defended my thesis. April 14th, Boom. the paperwork went through to incorporate my business, um, which I'd already Love been it. kind of running for about a year and a half at that point. And on the following Monday. So six days later, I was in Chicago presenting and launching the 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 business from my based on my blog. And that kind of brings me through to then the last couple of months I've been growing that business. In that time I've really done a lot of work working with graduate students about how to start their own blogs, how to start their own businesses based on their research. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's kind of the the summary as as a bridge as I can make it.
1: I love it. It's so good. And it's perfect timing, as most of my (laughs) guests are. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, we're talking right now. Because that is something that we haven't really gotten um, a lot on into uh, on the show as what it means to be like starting, or sorry, yeah, starting a business during your PhD. Um, I just recorded an episode, which isn't aired yet. And it's very similar. And it's such an important audience, I feel like that it's, it's just important for PhD students to recognize that there might be other ways to make money and like plan B and maybe not even plan B because that makes it sound like plan A failed. But like even just like what you said, side hustle. This idea that we can make money that maybe is not us being a TA in a classroom um, or, you know, uh, trying to find other jobs that are related to academia, whether it's somewhere on campus or something like that. And um, so I do love that about your story and diving into that decision to start blogging about your research Let's talk about that a little bit because there's probably some people listening going like, Ah, and of course, and I love that your business is around helping PhD students blog about their research. Um, There's definitely a theme with the guests about how do we take what we know and spent years studying um, and get it out into the world and really help the world. So let's talk a little bit about that blogging piece. And I, I, you know, having done my own research project, that idea of committing to synthesizing, you know, the research that you're learning, tying it together. I mean, that as an act of itself, and how it probably helped you uh, complete your dissertation is amazing. But then to publicly blog about, uh, about your research, I'm sure helped you to be able to write. So that's obviously it's like a win win. So right you're building this audience, even if no one's really watching. But you're building a knowledge base that you can use in other ways. And so I I want people to even see that in your story too, where it's sometimes we create something and maybe no one really saw it. But then how can you repurpose it? How can you take it and do something else with it too? So there's a lot in that that we can definitely dive into. But yeah, tell us a little bit about... You know, deciding to go outside of the academy and make it a little bit more public. What was going on in your in your brain around that?
0: Sure, I love it. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's very, very scary. <laughs> and I hadn't, mm-hmm. I haven't, I hadn't at that point discovered the world of science communication. I just started my Twitter it, account, yeah, yeah. so I was really coming in from. I knew a little bit about digital marketing, but I had no clue that that people could start a company based on their research. So I actually pulled a mm-hmm. quote from a bio that I wrote for somebody two years ago, and in that it was November 2016. I wrote, "I'm currently focusing on learning digital marketing through a website blog based on my academic research." So that was November 2016, um, mm. and from that, so I so I have gradblogger.com, which is really helping graduate students. Yep. But my company is actually Dustex Research Limited, which is uh, I didn't really talk about my research. I should probably explain. <laughs> take yeah. two minutes to why explain my research. why don't
1: you a little bit? Because
0: that would help. Because it's... Uh, so, okay. so, my PhD was in chemical engineering. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned my undergrad was in mechanical. Yeah. And my specific department or the focus of of the research institution I was at was process engineering. So, that's a subcategory that really focuses on industries that make the cars that we drive in, the laptops sitting on your desk, the microphones. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, how do we design these plants and facilities from an engineering standpoint to be efficient, to, um, ah. to grow? And for my specific case, how do we focus on safety around that? So, my work is in combustible dust. So, that's fires and explosions in these facilities. So, that's shiny cover on your, your MacBook Air that you probably have on your, your desk or some Mac product. Um, mm-hmm. When they grind that metal off, it's very, very fine aluminum. And when they're creating, you know, a thousand of these in, facility, in a facility every day, they create tons every day of that essentially fuel. So, they need to mm. transport that fuel. They need to store it. They need to make sure the facility is safe from that catching fire. And if it does catch fire, it can actually uh, explode very violently if it gets dispersed into the air. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, the crux of looking at combustible dust is. So my my research specifically was into the physics and chemistry of what goes on in a propagating flame inside of a dust cloud. So you can see how kind of niche, I guess, my my specific area is. You, you yeah. can't get more niche than that. No. Uh, but so that's what I would say. So, I, so if you go look at digital marketing today, Google, and say, how do I start mm-hmm. a business online? You're going to say, well, find a niche that yep. is very small, that's not that's undercrowded or not very crowded, um, that the people that are in it care about a lot. Mm -hmm. that is every PhD thesis ever written.
1: Boom. That's my pullable (laughs) quote for this episode.
0: (laughs) So I kind of realized that. So I started, (laughs) and you can start really small. So I started really just on the science of what's going on. I was reviewing journal articles. So really, really niche. And then I started to back out. So in my field, there's the engineering and technology component. That's your, your, your raw science where your physics and chemistry come in. There's, human behavior and actual risk perception. So how do you Ah, go in these facilities and convince people that they may or may not have an issue? And then there's actually Mm -hmm. a big regulatory component and best practices. So how do you design engineering best standards? How do you design regulatory systems in North America and elsewhere in the world?
1: Mm. And these
0: kind of three things really have overlap. And once I realized that or kind of came up with that framework, then I just started writing about different areas. So I did a lot of the engineering technology piece. We also started talking about regulations. Started talking about well, what is our risk perception with regards to um, a large-scale explosion that maybe only happens once every twenty years? you typically our brains can't even comprehend what that means. It's too high severity, too high consequence, and too low frequency. Um, mm, if you yep. if you're into like uh, Nicholas Taleb, it's it's a black swan. You can't your brain really normalizes so those not happening. So there's some risk perception yep. issues there. So I started writing around all these areas related to my field, sort of backing out of my niche a bit until I found an audience mm. and started monetizing that and, and then created DustX Research, which is my my company now. We, in April, launched the world's only platform for tracking fires and explosions around the world um, in in um, industries wow. handling combustible dust. So there are some regional groups, OSHA mm-hmm. from the States may track some mm-hmm. things. Um, in Sweden, in Germany, in, in uh, Austria, they do individual tracking, but nobody's saying, what are we learning as a, as a global community? Um, and yeah, what, and exactly. to, yeah. And how can we contribute
1: to, yeah. How
0: can we apply it's that so in, in, you know, a new startup in Africa versus how do we apply that yep. in in Southern California? So that's, I'm trying to step back and take this global view. Um, yep. And that's really the, the, the first big project for DustX Research, but that's what we're trying to do. So our goal is within 30 years to have one year with zero fatalities due to combustible dust mm-hmm. incidents, And just the platform for measuring is really our ability to, to start to uh, be able to set goals as a community and go and get that mm-hmm. message out there. And then we're going to start targeting, okay, well what geographies are lagging behind Are coal mine mm-hmm. explosions in China being appropriately managed. And it sounds really big and we'll get into, into thinking big. It sounds
1: big, huge. Yeah. It's, you're just saving lives. No big deal. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: Well, it's. I spent my first five years in industry doing rocket science. So, I, at mm-hmm. any dinner party ever, I I have a hard time talking to anyone. Anyways, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: for sure, Derek might be excited about this. Yeah, interview. I hope he's listening. I've, yeah, <laughs> me, I'm like, okay, sure. Um, no, but I love it. And I think what's cool about this podcast is there's been such an evolution. And I know oh. you are just telling me that you've listened to a lot of them somewhat recently. Everyone, and. Yeah. And I like my guess. like as it expands just this network of people, I feel like I'm doing something similar. I'm connecting a bunch of people who are doing this and no one's quite named it. And it's like, wait, how can we collectively use this knowledge to inspire people to yeah, you know, now you have a responsibility to change the world of safety around your research because you're the academic who's like, okay, I'm going to go and take this outside of the academy. It doesn't need to stay into a classroom. And in fact, I can go into industry with this knowledge and help people. And that plunge that that academic takes is risky and scary and in, in some ways criticized or looked at in a, in a different, you know, in a different light. But um, I'm getting more and more people with um, similar stories. And I'm excited for you guys to hear the ones that I've recently recorded. But yeah, so... Here, uh, what I'm feeling like as you're talking is I'm like, okay, so wait, let's back up to that part where you mentioned the idea, the audience. We've, we quote unquote found the audience to sell right. to. What, um, what did that look like? So you, you found, you, you started basically putting content yep. out there. If, if I'm, yep. And then people started uh, reacting to that content and then you noticed a pattern. Is that pretty much?
0: Yeah. So every, most people I talk to try to come up with an audience first and that, can yes. work, but it's it's better that that can work if you do it quick. And I'm all right with people doing it if mm. you do it quick. But if you're taking more than a week to figure out your audience, then just just pick somebody and start,
1: <laughs> which is worth it.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a lot of people take six months a year and then never get started. Mm. And if I had done that, I would not have been at the position to launch a, biz- mm. a business a business the day after my
1: mm-hmm. my
0: thesis. Um, and I probably wouldn't yep. be here today. I'd be in in industry working instead of running my own company. Yep. So yep. get started. In the science communication world, and especially grad blogging, graduate student blogging, there's this perception about, again, research to public. And that's a really important thing. And I don't want to downplay ah, yes. it because a lot of people no. spend a lot of time trying to communicate the um, you know global warming or vaccines. these all these high ticket yep. items that we need important to do. Important stuff. Really yeah. important. But there's also other places. So researcher to researcher, ah. a lot of your audience would come into that. How to is about... Mm-hmm. How do you write a thesis? How do you do specific Mm -hmm. scientific? If you're if you're in a lab and you're doing this crazy experiment that you know only five people are doing in the world, blog about it. People are going to love reading that. Yeah, Um, and they'll be really interested in tuning in to that. So research to researcher and then research to business. Yep. So and and people that maybe do research to public may kind of criticize that um, you're copping out or something. Interesting. But I'll I'll Mm -hmm. give an example. Just a few weeks ago. I had a government official from a country in the Middle East email me and ask for guidance on how they should rewrite their standards g- regarding combustible gas. Wow. So that has an effect on their... And now I can't... I didn't give him guidance. I'm um, sure as heck didn't charge anything, but I did, I did yeah. send him the right direction to here's who you could... Here's the people I think that are the best in the world to help you solve this problem, mm. um, mm-hmm. and that's really important. We with and you're a bridge. I'm a bridge.
1: You're essentially a bridge. Yeah.
0: Um, I am trying to form this global community for us to be able to communicate more effectively, and that mm-hmm. kind of big thinking is is also important, just as important in my mind as mm-hmm. as talking to the 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 general public, or I guess the general. They're both public. important, is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. But you can take both avenues yeah. with uh, with yep. your communicating online.
1: Yeah. That's a great... I had never thought about the researcher to business angle. Mm. Yeah. To me, the, the some of the science folks that I've had on, um, yeah, have been a, like, yeah, how do you communicate your research to the general public? How do you make it accessible? And even... Yeah, even my husband is going to do something around teaching physics and, um, to the general public. Right. But this idea of, yeah, how can you help businesses? There's, um, that's the B2B angle of it. Right. So instead of calling it business to business, it's research to business. That's a new world for me. And this is also probably because, um, I'm not in the space of the like science communications um, until now, <laughs> until I publicly put out like, wait, what kind of academics have businesses? And then it was like, oh yeah, people with science degrees have these kind of businesses, and that makes sense. So it, that's a new space for me, the science communications. So then this idea of you, you basically being a bridge between research and um, people moving forward, yeah, in the economy, but also like yeah, politically, right, right too, with the b- government officials. Perfect. So, so the way you're monetizing this at the moment is: Were you doing ads when you talked about monetizing your blog early on, or, or what did that income stream look like? For sure,
0: you? I'll I'll go through how it kind of grew because I think it's cool. Um, I think it's yeah. so available to so many PhD mm. students if you can get over the hump of actually getting yourself out there, which is doing it the hardest yep. thing. But once you do that, it's it really opens up. So when mm-hmm. I s- so I started monetizing in. June of 2017. So I'd been writing okay. maybe about eight months at that point. Um, I had a newsletter that was, I think, 250 people. So pretty small. Not bad. Um, but I, I emailed just a company or I might even have called. No, I emailed them. Yeah. Because there's a funny story. So I emailed a company, mm-hmm. somebody that I, I talked to. He had emailed me before about the blog and we discussed things and said, would you guys like to put your company logo and you know, a small description in a sponsor blog? at the bottom of the oh. newsletter. So it's, it's direct advertising is what it is. Yep. Um, and, and it's a really funny story. So I, I said that and I, I did a nice landing page and said, you know, the details are on this landing page and he mm-hmm. emails me back on his mobile and he's like, yeah, we're in. And I'm like, I didn't even say that it was for fee. Right. In the email, it said it on yeah. the landing page, but I didn't think he even checked the landing. But so now I'm like, ah, I'm such an idiot. So, I email him back after like half an hour of reconsidering my whole life, right? And then <laughs> and say, um, I I forgot to mention the, the email, but there's a charge I was going to do $200 a month. And he me back. He said, of course. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Okay. He's like expected. So he said, <laughs> you better. He, he said, me. I copied
0: my marketing manager. Just um, you know, figured out mm-hmm. the details with her. So that was great. She emails me back half an hour later and says, we'll take a year. Wow. I was like, so I went from zero dollars online to now I I had potentially twenty four hundred as my my first sale. Yep. And and of course I said, no, you can't take a year. Like this is just a us getting started price. So
1: you're like, I don't know what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> right. but that was the, that was that day. And it was it was a crazy thing. So I thought yeah. I didn't charge you anything and then mm-hmm. and then they said it took a year. So we did I did three months. Um and that was sort cool. of the first money I made. And then the next person I asked, I bumped it to three hundred and 400. And I closed out this year by January 30th. I had, I had, um, that newsletter was fully booked for this entire year, 2018. The price now is up to 595 a month. Um, nice. and th- so that was where I started. It was just, I was writing a newsletter anyway. Yeah. Yep. My newsletter usually covers the incidents that are happening. So that's sort of how I started to create mm. this database is every week I okay. scour the online and social media and talk to people and say, what's going on in every region of the world. So, that was sort of the start. And then I started writing industry reports every six months. Mm
1: -hmm. First of these
0: I did in Canva. The second one I did in Canva. And I did, what was it? So, I had one page in the report and I emailed a a whole ton of companies because I really want to stay neutral in my space. Well, that's why I tell people. I probably was just really scared to ask for too much money from any one person. But that's Mm -hmm. something we got to get over anyway. But I had one page and said, $150 to put your logo on the page. And I emailed 15 companies and 15 out of 15 said yes.
1: Oh, dang. That means you're onto something. Or it's too cheap. Well,
0: (laughs) both. (laughs) Uh, Both. (laughs) But it was, it started, I I mean, it was my side hustle. And I was, um, was, you know, doing this evenings and weekends kind of thing. And it was just an interesting way to get started. And that report now is, you know, I I hire a designer now and and we work together to, make something that's really nice. It's 35, 40 pages. And it's sort of like a magazine is advertising in it um, throughout. And that's really a big revenue generator for the business. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then this incident database, the platform that we've been developing at dustsafetyscience.com, mm. which is the the new website for, for DustX Research. We mm-hmm. take direct advertising in there. So we call them, if you become a member company of Dust Safety Science, then at first, you get included in a directory, you get included in these industry reports, uh, descriptions bios about your company and some of the products and that. But moving mm-hmm. forward, we're, we're going to create the world's best research, resource for this. So if you want to know, I'm getting some technical details of my field. But if you want to know about explosion venting, explosion suppression, um, doing, dust, doing hazard analysis about your systems, if you need consulting done, this online resource that we're now developing through creating this research company is going to be the best resource comes up online. So these companies want to get out in front of it and be able to advertise directly to the to the end consumers of it. So that's the, the third kind of step is just direct um, monetization online of, of the mm-hmm. website, which I wouldn't start there if I was creating a blog. I mean, you can you can do some Google yeah. AdWords and throw it up and you're not going to make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also nope. not going to make any nope. money with Amazon affiliate links. Maybe I tried. Yeah. Nope. It didn't work. My account got yeah. rejected three times because I didn't. I made zero dollars. Um, yep. But this this putting yourself out there, making a name for yourself in your field, and mm-hmm. actually talking directly mm-hmm. to companies. Well, like I said, I knew nothing, and on my first sale, I could have could have done twenty four hundred dollars. Um, yeah. It's it's really powerful. What
1: made you go into the route of like I'm providing information publicly versus maybe something like consulting? Sure. Did you play with doing consulting? At I, all? I did
0: not, and it's the most frequently okay. asked. Question because people just don't understand.
1: Yay! I'm so good at asking questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like winning. No, but that I'm seriously sitting here going, Oh, I could see you easily consulting for like multiple five figures at these companies. Um, or
0: even yeah. if I was, cons- and I'll give you some example, but if I was consulting, sure, they need equipment. Getting sales on equipment yeah. is how a lot of consultants that are solo will make uh, their money.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I don't. And I thought about okay. it for a long time and tried to figure sure. it out. But the thing that I can't do if I do that is I can't be a neutral party in my space. I no, stopped being a research company. Mm-hmm. And I kind of stopped yeah. being able to do things like influencing government organizations mm-hmm. to change the, their perception about combustible dust hazards. Yep. So yep. it was, I read a lot of Seth Godin books and just how mm-hmm. how to think really big in the space and decide that if I go down that road, um, I can't have can. as big an impact. Yeah. And I'm happy I didn't.
1: The impact, I love that. And I, and like, I, that's exactly you were going for the, I'm, I want to solve this like a global issue. And me being a consultant privately, internally with other companies doesn't do that, would not be. Able and the to
0: people do that, that do in my space, they're, they're great at what mm-hmm. they do. And, and it's an important sure. role to play. But the role yep. of actually globally looking at what's going on, trying to solve some of those high level issues, I think that's a role that an academic can play. And it's one yeah. that's missing in, and I would say almost every field. It's not missing in combustible dust yep. anymore. <laughs> that one's taken.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got it. Awesome. So I had, a, I have a question because this has started to come up. I can't remember if it came up in a Facebook group or a, a, like a a private conversation I had um, with somebody. Did you get any pushback from your your institution about taking what was happening, like as you were researching, and you know, quote unquote, monetizing it? Um, and it, like, how did you navigate
0: that? Sure, it's a it's a good question. I I didn't. Okay. So my uh, I get it would be a little bit harder if you're a professor. I think whereas a grad student, okay. I could kind of fly under the radar mm-hmm. a bit. Um, my yeah. supervisor was. He, he was amazing through my whole graduate experience um, and he was supportive of this work, but he also just was pretty hands off about the online. He basically said, don't, you know, he didn't want to be mentioned or kind of brought up. Or, don't involve which, me in it. Okay, Which is yeah. actually kind of, in in one way, it would have been nice to have some more guidance, but in another way, it let me kind of off the leash to do my own thing as well. So, mm-hmm. I was able to do it um, alongside. Now, I wasn't publishing um, I wasn't monetizing my research directly. I was monetizing the research okay. kind of my field and then went into more industrial applications. Like
1: the lit review, the yeah. literature around it basically. So I, yeah. I
0: don't think, I, I think a lot of people that would bring that up as maybe an issue might be doing it for other reasons. Like they may have some mental blocks mm. that are, you know, it's kind of yeah, thing that you might uh-huh. set. And I do this all the time, but you may set, front, set in front of yourself to make it hard to move forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was worried a long time and I still am, but I've incorporated now about just getting sued. So I, I yeah I for write sure. on
1: you're dealing with um, yeah yeah
0: and that's still a fear I have but that's one of the reasons I incorporated my company um, figuring mm-hmm. out trying to figure out insurance and different things but it was the same thing I could let that stop me from moving forward um, or yeah. or figure out how to get around it
1: yeah solve the problem that's what we do that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. Okay, good, that's really helpful because yeah, i've I've gotten that question, and part of me is like it probably varies by institution. So whatever sort of you know contracts that you have as a grad student, as a professor, as a part timer, as any other position um, where you may or may not be getting paid by the institution, they might have their own, Policies in place, standards, whatever. But then there's also individual gatekeepers that may or may not um, actually even know either way. Like you could ask a professor, hey, like I'm going to start a blog talking about my research and, you know, I will be making money from it. Do you know what? you know, where, where should right. I go for help to find out if that's okay? They might have totally the wrong information. Yeah. <laughs> and that that's like one thing that when we're working with institutions, I think go straight to the source as much as possible and, and figure it out for yourself. I've had guests, maybe not even guests, but people I'm connected with, mentioned doing and creating things on sabbatical too which is another thing where like there's definitely paperwork around that like how you get paid and funded and what the like uh, what happens on the sabbatical um, and that's all things that again individual you know individual institutions have their own kind of political climates and dis- and make decisions based on that so um, I think you know if you're worried about it um, Checking with people potentially that might know the answer, but then also just going to any source you can possibly find on campus that has some of that documentation. I was even thinking from like, yeah, a social science perspective to like IRB and like the Institutional Review Board. Like, I don't know if there's language around any sort of can you use the data that you find in some sort of monetized thing. I, I just saw an article published... I don't know, want to say like the Chronicle or something about a school preventing faculty from using any curriculum that they create like anywhere else or something like that. And it's like, it's getting a red flag. And so there is, there are weird nuances that we should be thinking about. Um, because in many ways we do kind of give over a lot of our power to the institution. And so just like being careful of that, but I also appreciate how you're bringing up don't also use that as a block as to a reason right. why you
0: can't. Yeah, you just got to find a way around it. Right? You, you got to read your contracts. I mean, same as when I yep. was working with the company and trying to figure out my own mm-hmm. entrepreneurial. Um, you need to know what's in those contracts and kind of understand it. But yeah, you don't want to let it stop you from from moving forward. And if it's just a yeah. case that you can't use your own research or anything generated by the institution, then yep, then you may need to find a way around it until you're out of the institution. Mm-hmm. Right now, mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. uh, do I do do some contract work with um, universities, but. Like right now, my, my research okay. company generates its own research. So I, I'm outside of the university system now. I can use all the research yep. for everything that we want to do.
1: Yeah. And and so that's an option too, like, at, yeah, at a point where it's, oh, maybe you exit, like exiting actually is the evidence that you need right. to move forward in your business because then they don't own, you know, your knowledge or your information. So I had a, a thought too. So we you kept bringing up, oh, my institutional endeavors or sorry, institutional entrepreneurial endeavors. And I, I wrote down to like, over the weekend, I was doing side hustles, like, ex, like experimenting, doing personal development. Did you know you wanted to start a business? Has that always been a part of you and like the impact you wanted to have on the world? Or were you thinking you would go into industry? Tell us a little bit. Yeah, about I love that. this
0: question. And, and it's so interesting because I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. And um, Mm-hmm. As you can probably tell by getting through three years in a few weeks,
1: what are some of your favorites? Like, because I do like you know exposing people to uh, to ways to learn sure. about business and um, personal development. When and all I of that started, stuff.
0: it was with Founder Podcast, and that's sort of what got me to the entrepreneurial mm. side. That's why I say love it at the. It. If you've heard me say that in the the uh, podcast so far. Uh-huh. That's because um, Chan and the, that podcast always says it. Um, smart passive income. I've listened it. to all 320 episodes. I'm um, also a member of some of the courses now that Pat Flynn has come out mm. with. Um, and then anything really to entrepreneurship, uh, or anything to do with with blogging online. So I do listen to, Blog. um, Leslie Samuels become a blogger, and then I I listen mm. to anything any of the Katie Linder's podcasts on academic side is really good. Your podcast is yep. great. Uh, Hello PhD to kind of get a pulse on how PhD mm. students are feeling. Um.
1: Mm-hmm. those are
0: kind of the ones that are coming to my mind right now
1: yeah and i love that and i just want to point out to people listening too, like he has a lot of different um so you know smart passive income with pat flynn is is like really like building a business online and he he's amazing i i get to meet him like in person yeah you're in, killing in me with Diego. that by the way he's, he's, it's so fun well you have to come visit and I i'll will. take you um Yeah, and he and he's also just like such a great human, which I always love when you meet these people who are just like larger in life online, and um, you know, just making amazing money, and you're just like whoa, and then they're just humble, down to earth, want to help people. Yeah, he's that guy. And then yeah, and then so then I see you're doing research on getting in the mind of people who you want to help, which is um, getting you know PhD students and to get their research and, and start blogging. So you're listening to things like Hello PhD. You're listening. To to me, Katie Linder and people like, oh, what are these other academics yeah. who are you know d- making kind of the same decisions? So that the idea of using podcasts as like a little bit of market research, a little bit of you know teaching and learning, right? This is how we learn. Um, I think it's a great, great, great idea for like starting a business um, or or starting a new venture. A great source to learn how to do that and to study your audience.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I so. I've, I've DustX research. I recently launched gradblogger.com, um, which mm-hmm. is a
1: great name, by the way, by the way, like I always it? get good. so amazed when like those domains, like, Oh wow, that's, that's not taken. Nice.
0: Well, I, I bought it a while ago and I've, I've struggled oh, with the name go. a bit, well, but I go. think that's what we're, mm-hmm. that's what we're going with. I'm really excited about it.
1: I think it's good. I, I think it totally rolls off the tongue and it's like, that's exactly what it is. Makes so
0: when sense. I started back in November, when I wrote this uh, quote, I mentioned earlier, I actually mm-hmm. tried to pre-launch a course for graduate students to create a blog just because after a month, I was so amazed with how it was going and which is totally silly mm-hmm. because now it's it's so much bigger than that. But I was so amazed that yeah. I actually tried to pre-launch just a course um, doing one of the like a pre-beta launch. I actually had two students sign up and then I didn't really go through with it. I didn't feel like I had the time and it wasn't the way I wanted to launch that course then mm. in january 2016 i was going to create a website focused on because now things are really taking off i had actual people coming to my blog mm-hmm. and i actually had some mm-hmm. job offers um but when i graduated and i was like wow. this is amazing every grad student has to do this um and my wife talked me off the ledge and said you're spending so much time on dustx research which that was wasn't incorporated yet but you're doing so much of that mm-hmm. she watched me do the three years the 70 hour weeks and seventy hours like a mm. short week, <laughs> um, so she she kind of talked me off the ledge, which I'm happy she did, because now I'm at that point where I'm launching grad blogger properly now. Mm-hmm. And before, you know, at first it was like, oh, I have a newsletter with two hundred people on it. And then it was I got some job offers. Now I've created a worldwide research company. Um, yep, it is my yep. sole income generating source at the moment, and it's just such an amazing thing that I think is attainable by a lot of grad students. So I'm really excited to launch that. Now you, you have
1: again. the evidence yeah. of look, you this is where it can take you.
0: So two years it's taken me to get to launching that. And I, I ran a I, I still run the Academic Blog Network, which is a a Facebook group. I think it's yes. three hundred and twenty members. Um, and it's really about graduate students and and researchers in general. Mm-hmm. Um, just just chatting about, you know, the problems they're having, tools that they yep. need to use, thought processes, mental things. And I just use that as a sounding board. I actually when I when my wife said you can't start the website. I said, well, "Okay, I'm going to start this Facebook group just so I can um, start talking to mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. and you know, I do Facebook lives on there every Friday. I think I'm on week 30 or week 28 or something of that. It's a good way for me to practice too. And now yeah. I have so much bigger knowledge base to launch, launch out to grad blogger.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of um a lot to be learned from that process. And I feel like, yeah, man, one thing I love about this podcast is." You know, I have some people that are at this very, very beginning of starting a business, um, and then I have people who are a couple years in, and I do love highlighting the evolution that business takes, and that in fact, you know, taking those initial first steps um, are so important to get out of our head about it, especially from an academic perspective. Like, not overthink it. Not we don't have to have a PhD in entrepreneurship <laughs> to be allowed to do this to run a business, um, but that. Every choice we make along the way is just like a learning process for us. And so in your story, I hear like, you know, sometimes it might not feel right, even though you're reading online about how starting a course will make you a bajillion dollars, which is great. And then you feel into it, you launch it, and then you're like, you know, this actually isn't the right time. And then looking back, you're like, yes, everything happened for this reason. This was always the path, because now I have even more information to teach people. And so... um, but you at least took steps, I love so, it. I do, yeah. so I don't. So I also want to like highlight that the story isn't about how you didn't launch it and then did nothing, um, it, you know, and and were sad about how many people you got or felt like you couldn't support them. It was more like, oh, there was all this other experience to gain, so now you can even more properly. Support and help people, and you know, be an inspiration for them as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'll give you another story. So I, I've done this a, a bunch, and that's the biggest. If anybody can take anything away from this mm. podcast interview, it would be that you should. Well, maybe, maybe you're even treating it like the experiments you run every day in your research mm. lab. Um, but you can, you're allowed to experiment. It's so scary. I, when I was trying to monetize, I had my newsletter monetized, but I don't think I had my instant report. Um, I actually picked 15 people from my newsletter that I knew I had talked to directly before and emailed them about a information product um, about every week I would send them images and information that they would need to present uh, combustible less hazards out to the world. So I knew these 15 people were involved in doing presentations at least, I think my criteria was at least three a year. And would it be helpful to you to have this every month? And it was a pretty crappy idea because mm. <laughs> <laughs> nobody was going to buy it, but I I did it. I wrote the email. Uh, It was the same email for 15 people, but I just changed their name. And I just sat there and closed my eyes and pressed send. And the Mm -hmm. feedback I got was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't do it. But if you exercise that muscle of getting over that being scared part, um, which I'm still terrified every every time. Like every Facebook Live I do this podcast interview. But like Pat Flynn says in his podcast is that's a sign that you're doing something good. So if you can
1: be afraid and -hmm. then dive
0: into it, some of those people that I emailed about that information product, um, I still have great, you know. they that only helped foster mm-hmm. the relationships we have within my community today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nothing bad has come from it, and mm-hmm. although you feel every day like somebody's probably going to say you're an idiot, no one's actually said it to me. No, <laughs> yeah. After two years, <laughs> right.
1: there you go. I love that, and I part of me, you know, likes to compare it to this, like, the notion of academia too, like. I think constantly in academia we're critiqued. I mean, it's part of it, right? It's part of what research is. Is like, okay, this is how you do it better. This is how you do it better. Or, um, you know, this didn't work, and so now we have to try this. But sometimes we're looking for that that like outward validation in academia. But like in the business world, often we aren't met with a lot of critique. And that the thing that we're sharing is met with like, oh, this is awesome. In all of its imperfection and not perfectness of of what you're creating, it's still awesome. And people love that. There's like some authentic, real uh, relationship we can create online with like social media and all this stuff. And so when we kind of reach out to our audience, it feels one way in a given moment, but we're often met with just like, Oh, thanks for sharing that. And we're super critical because that is our brain. (laughs) We've been wired that way, in so many ways and trained right um, in our programs to really be thinking about critique and where is where am I, you know, doing it wrong. Um, And the business world while, you know, yes, there's a lot of things that are going that go wrong, but like, it's not met with that same level of Oh, um, I guess, like judgment or something. I'm I'm trying to like figure out, what exactly the wording is. But yeah.
0: Yeah. The feedback's just different. Yeah, um, there
1: you go. <laughs> it's different.
0: <laughs> and it's it has a lot of the same elements. The self critical imposter syndrome, that's sure. all there because that's not um not only isolated to academics. That's no. just a human condition. Yep. But it is it is different because the feedback's different. The mm-hmm. the mechanism's different somebody shutting you down from a journal is different. In business, most people aren't gonna say um, no, or like, that's Mm -hmm. like a really dumb idea. They'll, it's just either they buy or they don't buy. And If they don't buy, it probably means that it's not the best idea, Yeah, but that's the feedback. And, but you can start digging in. So, well, can we have a conversation about that? What do you like? What do you not like? And there's some key questions you can ask, Mm. um, to really start to learn that or, you know, or create a Facebook group about it and then just start asking people. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's so many other ways you can go about getting that feedback that it's, it becomes really powerful if you're just willing to put yourself out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What I wrote down when you said, yeah, uh, versus like putting an article and getting rejected, it's thinking about who has the power in a situation. And so when you're um, particularly a grad student, or maybe, you know, a tenure track professor who's, you know, needing to publish, we don't have the power. And there are these gatekeepers or these people who get to decide, oh, yeah, this belongs or this doesn't. But it but then it's like, unfortunately tied to like your career and advancing in your career and all this other stuff. So it's very, so we internalize that and we feel bad about ourselves in business. We kind of have the power and this is what I'm, you know, I'm working through too. Like it's very invigorating because I can, I can wake up in a given day and be like, I would like to create something and I will create something that then will be exchanged monetarily potentially. <laughs> um, but like I get to decide, like, I'm not waiting for a paycheck from the school you know, I had a lot of freedom in my classroom. But like you, you are beholden to like a time schedule and to different people on campus. And 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 when you have a business, it's you, man. <laughs> you know, I love it. Yeah. and so who has the power is like, you can wake up and say, I'm going to do this differently. And you control that. Whereas yeah, I think a lot of the power in the institutions often isn't in the hand of the person getting critiqued, obviously, to to like make a big difference or change. And a lot of it is super subjective, but then negatively impacts your career. Where in entrepreneurship, the feedback comes back, like you said, is oh, just edit it and you're just a couple tweaks away from this amazing product that people want and that you will be paid for. It's not, you're not waiting for some outside person to decide if it's good enough or not. It's like the public or the consumer or the buyer.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's a yeah. really, really powerful. And what I will add to that, because mm-hmm. this is kind of my, my message, is as a grad student studying something going so deep into it, mm. you're perfectly suited to start to test the water on what that looks like. Mm. And you can do it as a side hustle. You can do it just by science communication of your research. You can do it at conferences and just by going and talking to people, but you can start to test that because as a grad student, you don't necessarily need the money. Um, mm. you, you at least have some stipends. So it's not like you need to, you know, you need to make rent. Maybe you do need to make rent, but that's mm-hmm. a, that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but in a general case, you can start to test the waters with this without needing to actually start um, without selling right away. So I was mm. able to go six, eight months without selling on, on DustX Research I've been able to go two years and a bit without selling on Grab Blogger, mm-hmm. and that's just because I I did it while I started as a graduate. I didn't wait. To, okay, once mm. now that I graduated, now I can go be a grown up and and do this next phase of my life. I just yeah. started once I I heard it.
1: I love that, and yes, because I am all about that too. There's a different energy, you know. <laughs> you probably learned this too, but like sales and selling is is odd for us academics, I think, <laughs> and that's been a learning process, but you know, when you're unattached to the outcome, and you're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to make this, I need, you know, I need to make this money, or this better work, or I hope this works, or this has to work, (laughs) um, which happens a lot in business. So I'm, you know, I'm not here to say that it's so easy to be unattached. But when it is unattached, when you're able to remove yourself from that outcome, the... I, I think the energy is different around it. And so when you can you know, be in a secure place where you're doing research and it's double dipping for you. It's a win-win. You're taking something that you have to basically do anyways to to get your dissertation written. And then you are publicly doing it and that you could potentially fall back on a side hustle or, um, you know, yeah, get job opportunities because now people know what you're doing, which is something academia does not teach you. There's no conversation around what you should be doing as a PhD student, um, you know, not there's not no, I shouldn't say that because that's probably not true. But They're like very it's, limited, it's very limited. And you have to go out and find it. it. It wasn't happening in my institution. It was happening online. And I would have to stumble across it, right, or, or start to question it. And so our professors that were teaching us, you know, they are from a different era as a student in many cases. And so they didn't realize, um, I think our opportunities are different. You know, obviously with the internet, but, but that public information, right? And as yep. an option. And then you're not, it's not necessarily a plan B. It's just, it's another income stream down the line. Even if you decide to, you know, be a full time professor or get a job in industry, but, you know, having something that you control, um, it's kind of like investing in real estate a little bit. It's like this idea of your, you're putting resources in other places. So I think doing it from a, a state of this is benefiting me and my research and it could potentially benefit other people like outside of this, but I don't need anything from it. I don't expect anything from it. That's a great way yeah. to get something started.
0: Yeah, people people know and, and we all know when you're being sold to, mm, right? So yeah, for sure. I go by and I'm part of a lot of communities and I talk to a lot of academic entrepreneurs. My my approach has always been, I'll get some percentage of the value that I put into the world. And I've actually mm-hmm. put a number on it. So, I think that it, I get 10% of the value that I put into mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. So, if I want to make $100,000. I need to create a million dollars worth of value. I love that. So, when I first started, I said, I want to make $50,000. So, I got to put $500,000 of value into the world. Well, how mm-hmm. how the heck am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. Then I realized that my charge out rate as an engineer. Not what I made, but what my company would charge me out at nominally. I can't say the actual number because it's kind of confidential stuff, but let's say mm-hmm. it was $350. If you take that and multiply it by 50 weeks, by 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. I actually created something like $525,000 worth of value into yeah. the world as an engineer the previous year. And I said, well, mm-hmm. I just need to create as much value as I did last year. And if I can mm-hmm. take home 10% of that, then then there's my my 50000 for that year. Now it didn't work out that way. I, I made less and, and I delivered a lot less value than 500,000, but I've learned now how to start how to think thinking that it. way. So that's how I get over the, yeah. the fear of selling. But if you need to, if you need money today, it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. So you, you might need to pre-launch a course. You might need to do a beta launch where you're taking money before you create. And that's all great. It's just a, it's a different mindset that you need to go into doing that. And kind of like with the, with grab blogger and the Facebook group, I've now have two years of putting information out there. Um, Yep. I've done you know thirty Facebook lives. I've helped people. I've tried to do some small coaching and stuff, and it's all. I'm I'm not doing it so that I can get paid in the future. Mm. But I'm doing it to make a change in the world, and mm-hmm. I know that that's going to start coming back.
1: Mm-hmm. So I don't yes. in
0: my business in dustX research, I try not to sell now. If a company, like if I get to the point where I'm asking somebody for direct advertising, and they're kind of on the fence. Mm. I try to just tell them now. I say, "Okay, well, it's great. Um, if you are interested, if somebody else in your co- company is interested, let me know." Mm. And the ones that really are like, "heck yes, let's do it." Those are the ones I really want to want to sell yeah, to at that's the end of the day. The anyway, best
1: relationship to get into. Yep, um, a thousand percent. Having been on, having been on the negative side of those sales conversations where you're like if you're iffy about it um, you can feel it when someone like wants to throw money at you it's like the best feeling ever because everyone's on board like it's like a consent thing right it's like I'm on board I'm so excited about this that's such a great energy to work with and from um, versus the like oh like how can I just convince you that word convince is a little you know iffy and yeah I I think a big part about being an academic entrepreneur is really around the money making piece yep so I appreciate you giving us some context for how you think about it because I've definitely tried to break it down you know on the podcast myself and I feel like I'm you know, healing and learning a lot more by just talking with other people who come from my, you know, our way sure. of thinking, I guess, or our, our common shared experience, you know, as a salaried person and and that I'd never really thought about my value per hour when I was teaching. Like it just, it was just like I taught and then, oh yeah, it's nice to make this much money or whatever and feel yep. safe and secure and, and all of that. And then, yeah, when you get into entrepreneurship, um, the risk goes up. But it's in so many ways, it's just risk in a different place, because to say that academics aren't at risk in some places is, um, I don't know, it's a little naive, because I don't think that that's entirely true. But so yeah, so then the risk um, might be a little bit greater in certain cases, but then the reward it comes back in a different way. So like what you can put out there, the, the energy, the impact, the amount of people that you impact, um, comes back in a different way. Um, Like you're bringing up. And I love that math, just thinking about the 10% of the value. Because something about declaring like, I would like to make this much money, that has been difficult for me in my business too. Like, oh, I would like to bring home this many dollars. Because I get to make that the reality. It's not the school telling me what my income is. It's it's a total flip of mindset. Um, And that's been interesting for me. And so for for you to say that I'm like ah yes I haven't heard anyone frame it like that that's really really helpful
0: yeah I love it cuz I sometimes I'll hear people say you know I I did this webinar and I didn't make any sales and I don't want to do any mm. more webinars because mm. I'm not it doesn't but work <laughs> it, it doesn't I mean that's that's one way to do it only do a mm-hmm. webinar if you're going to make a sale but it's it's a hard way to do it cuz then you always got to sure. be selling and you always got to be in that mindset and and yeah. you can get kind of jaded being there
1: where mm. if you're if
0: you're giving away free webinars for so long then it's just an easier conversation and and what Mm -hmm. you said about companies that or even people that that really are are heck yes it's so much easier to deliver to over deliver to them yes because Mm -hmm. you're oh well how can i so like for a company i may um i know if if they're hosting an event and they've been somebody who's really supportive i'll promote their event on on linkedin or even put in Mm -hmm. the newsletter for with no charge but just Mm -hmm. because i know i can over deliver because Mm -hmm. we have so much um social capital already established with them where a company that I really, you know, is only in it because their competitors are, uh, which I which does happen in some They're industries, yeah. you know, then that's just a different mindset. It's harder to yep. over deliver to them because I feel like I gotta go above and beyond just to make them happy.
1: Just to meet, yes, to meet their expectation. That's been a huge learning curve for me too. Yep. It
0: goes the same way for you if you're doing P to P as well, or
1: mm-hmm.
0: or in my mind, my mind it is. If you can get to that point where you're over delivering. Beforehand, and again, it's hard. If you need sales this sure. week because you need to yep. put food on the table, you're going to need to have a different, you know, a different mindset. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Very cool. Well, this has been really fun. I loved learning about your research. I loved learning about where uh, what you're doing with it. I mean, and the income that you're bringing in, and um, it's so great. And and I love. I also love what you're doing with Grad Blogger. What would you Give um, as advice, um, and obviously you've been through a lot, so it can be at any stage in this journey. But like, yeah, what would you give to maybe someone listening who is an academic, whether they're a PhD student or you know, a, you know, part-time professor or a full-time tenure-track professor, someone in industry who has you know some of that knowledge? What kind of advice would you give them if they're thinking about starting a side hustle?
0: Sure. Yeah. So. I again I've listened to every podcast so I know kind of what questions might be coming. Yeah, for so I've, sure. <laughs> I've I'll go to I've four recommendations be, that are really mm. along the lines of this discussion that we've had and I think they're going to be helpful. And I actually wrote these down in a in a blog post in a couple of communities when I got back from launching my business in Chicago. Nice. Um, so the first one is how important it is to people call it different things but to have super fans to actually mm, mm-hmm. foster those relationships. So I did this by actually getting on a telephone, you know, a thing that calls people, yep. actually call people in your heard audience it, and talk to heard them. of it. <laughs> I, yeah, I probably haven't used one in a long time, but if you actually talk to these people, especially in an industry like mine where it's a lot offline, you can foster mm. really great relationships. Mm. These super fans, so just in this one event, I have maybe five people around the world that are really into what I'm doing and like really go other way to promote me. One mm. of them got me speaking at this event, even though they were full. He said, they need to have me. Wow. Um, my first two people that actually bought that week were, were people that were super fans. And I used that to say, okay, these two people are involved, you know, you need to be involved and it kind of helped me sell in those three days. Um, sponsorship slots are 2,200 for a year on that website. Uh, and I was, I said, there's only 10, but we're selling mm-hmm. 10 at this event. So that was 22,000 in, in those three Amazing. days. Super fans were the, the wedge that helped me get in there.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Um, and then they spread the word. So everyone I talked to said, oh, I won't say any, I won't say any names on here, but so and so from wherever said I need to talk to you, I need to see you they help spread that message. So mm. you need if, if you're gonna go down this road of even blogging or even creating a, a business based around your personal brand, you need to really focus on building these relationships. Yeah so the second recommendation is is use the right terminology. So in my newsletters mm. in in even you probably hear me speaking today, I use terms like we not me, not I. it's what we're doing. it's our goals, it's our platform. Um, if you become really, and and some people just don't make that switch and they talk a lot about what they want, uh, Mm. but it's so much easier for people to get on board and become those super fans when, how, how can you not like that, that our goal is to stop to have a zero year with zero fatalities over the next 30 years.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: You can't disagree with that. Um, but if I said my goal is to do this, well, Mm. um, this, you know, that's never going to happen. It's way too hard. But if I say our goal, this is what our community goal is. It's a little bit of a mindset shift, move to kind of we, not me terminology, the third recommendation is the importance of social proof. So mm-hmm. even when I had my blog at the start, I emailed companies that were on my newsletter and said, hey, would you guys like to put your logo on my website for free? Just, I, yep. I love that you're part of the newsletter. Uh, we're getting information out. And I ended up having like 30, 40 company logos. Again, I did not charge anything. But then companies started emailing me saying, oh, I saw this, this, and this company are involved with what you're doing. We really need to. We really need to be involved. What can we do? Yep. Um, So that social proof is really, really important. Getting testimonials, make sure you're doing that really powerful. And then the last one I'll kind of leave on because there's a lot of recommendations, but don't dial back your message. Mm. So in terms, so before I went to this event, um, I read Tribes by Seth Godin twice Mm -hmm. and it pulled me back from the edge because I I didn't, I thought, well, I'm not going to say that my goal is zero fatalities for the next 30 years. I'm going to dial it back to a softer message and after I read his book twice in a row, I said, no, it needs to be remarkable. People yep. need to be discussing it. So I'm going to go really big. And my presentation was unlike, I mean, not like skill-wise, like I delivered it really well, which I hope I did all right. But just in the message, I, I basically said, here's what my message is as a global worldwide system that we can do as community um, mm. that's never been done before. And, mm. and just kind of like you were saying when how big it is, If you if you pick those messages and you're going to have to read. You're going to have to read Seth Godin's book if you want to stay on topic Is this so hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I really want to dial it back. But if you actually go and, and focus on being remarkable in your given industry, trying to be the best, trying to do the biggest things and stay on that and can stay on that track, it's really powerful. And it can change you know your life. It can change your industry. It can change your research field.
1: Mm. Oh, I love that. What a great... Message. I it's so it's so I love it. I love it because (laughs) I am thinking about my own stuff around my messaging as well. And um, (laughs) I just made a Facebook post yesterday and I called myself a rich academic. I don't necessarily know that I feel a bit like that right now. But it was a little triggering for me to put that. And I was like, whoa, that's like such an interesting juxtaposition of words. (laughs) Like there's such a play there. And I'm like, oh, this would make a lot of people really uncomfortable. But often doing that is actually why the message is so powerful. And then I tied that to I want to pay off my student loans with like my business. And if I publicly do that and make this spectacle of it, it will be it's challenging like a very it's challenging lots of stuff but it's like a bigger thing and so that just happened for me personally like my own like personal brand and like it's not necessarily my whole global message like yet. But that was a shifting point for me where I actually was like, oh, I feel like a little uncomfortable posting this. But then I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's exactly why I should post it. Um, and then of course, there's a bunch of people chiming in saying, Oh, my gosh, I would, you know, I want to do the same thing, or I'm on the path to do it. And I'm like, Yeah, and there's something about, you know, being a professor and I was going to give myself to, to my institution forever. And then to, to take back what I paid, um, it's just, it's just, it's just such an interesting, you know, message, but
0: it's, it's remarkable is what I'd say. Yeah.
1: And that's, and that, and I'm like, oh, thanks, Chris. Like, <laughs> I was like, that's why you're on today. Like, cause that's why the universe is uh, handing me this stuff, but it's true. And in, in addition never- to that,
0: I told my wife that two hours ago about your Facebook message. So it is remarkable. No, you
1: didn't. it. And I, I actually told it.
0: her. Um, the person that I'm doing the interview with, here's the message. They said, "They said I'm a rich." She's she just she's in second year medical residency, mm. so we, we know about 100k plus debt about
1: plus <laughs> oh and more for you guys. Yeah, I, I think know. she has. Oh.
0: She has, How old is How old is she? And when can we start doing that?
1: <laughs> I know. Let's but, do it. It's funny. She's not the only doctor too that has like connected with me just talking about academics. You know, like that's that's really great. But it's
0: a remarkable message, and people will it talk is. about it's it. True, and it's it's so powerful. Don't dial it back. Mm.
1: Well, thank you. I'm going all in. Heard right here. <laughs> I got Chris's permission. so, uh, but I did. It felt like that. and I appreciate that. And whenever it feels like you get permission from people that, you know, amazing guests, people doing really cool stuff, um just know that, like that means like, yeah, you're doing something big too, man. and it it feels really good to connect with people like you. And so thank you for sharing your story because it's huge.
0: Love it. I really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. So where can people find you? Where are you hanging out right now? Um, And uh, yeah, what are you up to? When are you launching that course? I need to know all the details.
0: Yeah. So the best place is probably um, gradblogger.com, G-R-A-D blogger. Uh, I'm actually working on a mini course that will be free. You'll be able to access it. And its goal is within two weeks, you can go from wanting to have a a blog about your research to you'll actually have one with blog posts up and newsletter and all that. So I'm working on the details right now, but that should be live on the website by the time this goes live. And I'm really looking forward to getting like, like I said, your PhD is the most powerful niche. You're doing it every day. And you can really, if you're willing to go there and be remarkable, like Lindsay is, you can really make a change. Mm,
1: Yes. Share this with a fellow PhD student that needs to hear that. Love it. Awesome, Chris. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me. And I look forward to everything you're doing online. And I don't think this will be our last conversation. So...
0: Love it. Thanks a Awesome.
1: Awesome. Thanks for coming.